friends, this is Scott Pauley, and I'm thrilled you've joined us for the Weekend Pulpit. From time to time, it's my privilege to share a Bible message that God has used to affect my life in a unique way. And today's message from God's Word is from a guest preacher and someone that is very special to me. I hope you'll get your Bible and follow along as we listen for the Lord to speak to our hearts. tonight. I appreciate your coming. Well, take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, would you? Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to speak to you for a few minutes tonight on this thought, God is able. Do you believe that? I do. You know what I find sometimes? I find it easier to believe than live. I find it easy to believe that God is able in your life, that God can do things in your life, but then sometimes when it comes to my life, well, you know, it's a little harder to live and and to see become real. Notice it with me. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of this day. Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity to be here tonight. And Lord, we're gathered here again. We we want for you to have the opportunity to speak to our hearts. And we know we're needy people. We know that we don't have it all squared away. It's, it's not, we don't have our lives uh, exactly as they could be or you would want them to be. And so, Father, we've gathered here for you to speak to us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and touch our hearts with your truth, convict us and teach us. And Lord, I also pray you'd encourage us. So we offer you these moments and we pray that you would speak and then help us to, in faith, respond in obedience. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. When the Israelites had come up out of Egypt in their deliverance, boy, were they praising the Lord. They had been so blessed of God. Sometimes we sanitize what it was to be a slave in Egypt, and I assure you, it it wasn't a pretty picture. Uh, They had no determination over their lives at all. They they worked from sunup till sundown and probably beyond, and uh, never got to uh, barely eke out enough for their existence, but their sole responsibility was to please the Egyptians in building those great buildings and monuments and pyramids that we marvel at today. And so they cried out to the Lord, and they wanted to be free. They wanted to escape that bondage, and God worked so marvelously in giving them a deliverer. And when they came up out of Egypt, they were astonished that uh, God moved on the Egyptians, and they enriched them as they came up. And so can you imagine that march out of Egypt? No more brick-making, and we're no longer poor slaves. We've been enriched by the blessing and 
and the grace of God. It was so wonderful. They were shouting uh, how great a leader Moses was and how good their God was. And then in the will of God, God leads them right down to the edge of the Red Sea. I said the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea. It was a real sea, and they didn't know how to get across it. And not only that, but if you'd have looked to their left and gone south, you would have, in a few miles, come across what was called Migdal. And Migdal was one of the greatest fortresses of the Egyptian army. There was no way that they could go to the south and go around the sea. If you look to the north, they were faced with Sinai's wilderness, and they would end up there, but they didn't want to make that choice themselves. It was a barren and arid place. There was no way that they could, uh, in their new condition, make their way through Sinai. And bearing down from behind is the great Egyptian army. Pharaoh has changed his mind, and he's not going to let them go. And with that new engine of war, the iron-wheeled chariot, he is running them down, and he's going to make them pay. And I want you to know that the praise went from praise to complaint in just that fast. Listen to what they said to Moses. Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? They never said that. They just want to find something to blame Moses with now. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And boy, Moses about that moment began to understand, hey, this is going to be a tough leadership deal. (laughs) And I love what Moses says to them. In essence, he says, shut up. (laughs) Now, I know you're not supposed to use that word in polite company, but it makes good preaching. Be silent. He says back to them, fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And under the direction of God, who had led them to this place on purpose, Moses holds out that staff, and God does something that absolutely no one knew that he was going to do, and I don't think anyone thought he could do. You know, I'm sure there's some Egyptian or some uh, Israelite afterward that said, well, I knew that's what God was going to do. I knew he was going to split that sea. No, you didn't. God rolled that sea back, and I think a mighty wind threw, blew through that place and dried out that seabed, and, and nearly, we're told, a million people walk across that seabed dry, no mud caking to their feet, their flocks, their herds, their children, and they all get across the Red Sea, and Egyptian army sees what they've done, and they charge down into that seabed, and 
just as miraculously as God rolled the sea back, God folds the sea closed, and exactly what Moses said became true. The Egyptian army is done never to be seen by those Israelites again. What an amazing truth. Hey, you know what the problem was with Israel? When they got to that Red Sea, they knew they were in trouble. And when they looked at the situation that faced them, they didn't see how you could get across. They didn't see how you could go to the left or to the right. And they certainly didn't see any way that they could defeat that army. And because they couldn't conceive about how it could be done, they believed that it couldn't be done. You know what they forgot? They forgot that their God is able. God can do anything that he wants to do. You know what our great sin is at times? We, like Israel, fold God up and put him in the box of our abilities. We put him in the box of what we can conceive, what we can perceive. And what we do is we take a great God and we make him as small as what we can do ourselves. And our God is not small. God can do anything that he wants. He can do it in your life. He can do it in my life. And that's what I hope to convince you of tonight. I want to give you three thoughts. Here they are. Number one, I want to talk about the great possibilities of our God. Number two, I want to talk about the great poverty of our minds. And then number three, I want to talk about the great purpose of our lives. Here's number one, the great possibilities of our God. Look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able. Able what? Able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that we ask or think. That word able is an interesting word. I said to you yesterday, and I want to reiterate, I'm not trying to give Greek lessons. I don't know Greek. But I do love to study words, and I think there's value in studying words. And, and that word able, if you'll take your Strong's Concordance sometime and look it up, it's an amazing word. It is the Greek word dunami. I'm told that we get our word dynamite somehow from dunami because the, the thought of it is, is that it's great power. It's powerful. But I love how Strong makes it even more understandable. He says, Dr. Strong says, if you take the word dunami, the word able, the most literal way to understand that word is simply to be possible. Wow. <laughs> you know what that verse is saying to us? Now unto him to whom everything is possible. Everything is possible. There was a day that a young maiden, a young virgin was in Israel. And God sent an angel to speak with her. She was a good girl. Her name was Mary. She was truly a pure young lady. She was a lovely and, and great charactered young lady. And the angel comes to her and says, Mary, 
God's going to use you in a great way, and you're going to bear a son. And not sinfully doubting God, not questioning God, but just humanly not understanding how, she says back to the angel, you don't understand. I've not known a man. And isn't that a wonderful thing? She hadn't. And this is truly going to be a miracle. You say, preacher, you're not going to stay here to us tonight that you believe in the virgin birth. Sure do. I believe it. And Mary says, how can it be that I, a virgin, am going to conceive and bear a son? I've not known a man. And the angel says to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth. She hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Do you believe that? Nothing shall be impossible. Can I remind you of something tonight? We serve a supernatural God. A, a super, a God who is over nature. God is not bound by the laws of nature. God is not bound by the processes of biology. God made them. God made the earth. God made the rules and laws by which it consists. God is over them. They're not over God. And any time God wants to supersede them or cancel them, He can. You say, well, preacher, can you explain the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit of the womb of this young girl? Nope. I don't know how that happens. But I know that a God who can speak a world into existence, I know a God who can build systems like you and I are, if He wants to, through His Holy Spirit, can place a child in the womb of this pure little girl. And by the way, I believe He placed Jesus as an embryo or as an egg and an embryo somehow. And I believe that Jesus wasn't a full-born baby in the womb. I think He grew like every other child grows in the womb. And He was born like a child is born. He's just Jesus. And I want to tell you, our salvation depends on Him being a virgin birth child. Because the sin nature is passed to us through our Father, and His Father was not Joseph. I respect Joseph. I'm anxious to meet Joseph someday. I think he was probably a really quality man. But he wasn't the biological father of Jesus. And you know, if that wasn't enough, the angel says to Mary, now listen, just so you understand God is supernatural, 
God is almighty. He's doing you this way, but you know your cousin Elizabeth? Oh, she's way past childbearing age. And Mary says, oh yes, she's, she's quite old. And you know her husband, way past childbearing age. Oh, Mary, she's six months with child now. Because God can do anything God purposes to do. And God shall be able in your life and mine if he chooses to do that which we label impossible. That's the great lesson at the Red Sea. That God isn't bound by a sea. God's not limited by an army. God is not stymied by a fort. God is not, uh, uh, not able to lead people through a wilderness. And God's going to prove it because our God is able. Think with me for a moment about the great poverty of our minds. It goes on and it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. God's ability and possibility are infinitely above my own. One of the goals of my life ought to be to think like God thinks. You see, I will never ask like God wants me to ask until I think like God wants me to think. I want you to, I want you to think tonight about all the ways in the Bible God challenges us about our thinking. He says to us in Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't care if you're Harvard educated. I don't care if you've got the common sense award of, of Oxford. I, I don't care how glib or how winsome or how wise we think we are. God is smarter than us. And God sees what we do not see. And God knows and understands things that we don't know, much less understand. And as men, our first position before God is to understand that we are the supplicants, that, that He is greater than us. And the passion in our life ought to be, God, I want to be transformed. I, I don't want to go through life on my way. I don't want to do life thinking I have the understanding. I want to know what you see in it. I want to discern what you discern. I want to look how you look. I want to see through your eyes. Because your thoughts are higher than mine. He even challenges us that one of our great problems in thinking and asking is that we ask and receive not because we ask amiss, because we want to consume things upon our own lusts. Sometimes we hear that and, and we think very harshly, well, I, I don't pray lustful thoughts. Well, sure you do. I don't mean lust in the sense of carnality in the flesh. 
I, I kiddingly, I think I kidding, I preached so many times in as many places I forget what I say to who, but I, I think I said the other day, I, I've, I've asked God all my life to give me a red Corvette. He has not done that yet. And I don't suspect he will. It's what I really would like to have. <laughs> but I've got a 2016 Corolla with 140,000 miles. Amen. You say, preacher, what's your point? So much of our prayer life and our thinking is about what we think would make our life better. What we think we need for our life to work how we want it to work. And God says you sincerely ask for right things, but you ask for those thinking in your understanding that they're what I want for your life, that they're what's best for my will in your life. And he says you ask amiss because you ask it from the foundation of what you want and how you want your life to go instead of being yielded to me and leaving it up to me. Right. And then he comes along and he does the impossible. He says to us, I want you to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you, I look back and I say, God, look at me. I, I'm, I'm locked in this body. I, I, I'm locked with this brain. I, I, I don't know how I get that done. I'll never forget a number of years ago when I went to Bible college, I was a married man and had a child, and that, that simply meant that I went to class, and immediately after class I went to work, and immediately after work I went and studied, and I got to bed at about 12 or 1 in the morning and got up at 5.30 or 6 and did it again. But, and I, I'm simply saying I didn't have a lot of time to make friends and be friendly on campus. But there was one other married man who was there, and he and I had a number of classes together. We became friends. Occasionally we had a moment where we could get a cup of coffee together or whatever. And when we graduated, <coughs> pardon me, he went the way of the mission field, still there. I went the way of pastoral ministry, still, still hanging around trying. And uh, as soon as we started the church, we took him on for support. I think he was the second missionary that we took on. And, and he was one of those missionaries who just couldn't find time for furlough. It was 20 years before he took his first furlough. And I, we talked and I said, Jack, I want you to come to our missions conference. And in the middle of our conference, we're going to carve out some time. And we're just going to sit down, me and you. We're just going to talk for a couple hours, catch up, see what God's done with you, what God's doing in, in with my ministry and so on. And, and so we did. We, we found time to go to breakfast. And I only take people to the finest restaurants. And so we went to IHOP. And uh, while we're sitting there, I, I noticed Jack's reading the, the menu. Have you ever seen, and you observe somebody, and you, you know the wheels are turning, but they're not, they're not meshing. Something's wrong. And I looked at him, and I said, Jack, we, hey, we don't have to eat here. Yeah, there's a very fine restaurant across the street. Waffle House is right across the street. We can go over there. He said, no, no, it's not that. He said, he said, Brother Mike, he said, I'm going to say something you're going to think is silly. But he said, I have thought in Spanish for so long, I, I'm having trouble thinking in English. 
He said to me, for the life of me, I don't know what Rudy Tooty Fresh and Fruity is. <laughs> I said, Jack, nobody knows what Rudy Tooty Fresh and Fruity is. But I'll tell you, the moment he said it, a thumb clicked in my brain. You know what my problem is? I've thought in Mike for so long that it's hard for me to think in God. And I need the Holy Spirit's help so bad to be renewed and transformed. To where I can set Mike aside, set Mike's affections aside, and set Mike's weaknesses aside, and set Mike's prejudices aside, and and just say, God, I don't want to think in Mike. Will you help me? Will you change me so that I can think in the Lord? You say, well, preacher, how in the world is that ever going to be accomplished? Let me show you something. Go back to the verse. Now, unto him that is able. Remember how we defined that word? Dunami, power to be possible, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power. Boy, if you mark your Bible, same root word as able. Whoa, what are you saying? I want you to notice where it is. That worketh where? In us. Did you know that God's power, God's miracle-working power rests in us? It it works in us. You know that word work. If we were to go to James chapter 5 and verse 16, we read, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Hey, effectual fervent is the word work. There is an effectual fervent power in me that is there enabling me to stop thinking in Mike and start thinking and believing and praying as God would have me to. It's not something I have to conjure up. It's something that's there. I told you I got saved February of 1975. Went over and took that Bible, laid it on my sofa, kneeled down and prayed that great prayer to God. If you can save somebody like me, will you save me, Jesus? And he did. And listen, I didn't know it. I didn't understand it then. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know Sunday school. I didn't know anything. But in that moment, I didn't feel it. I didn't know it. But when God saved me. The Spirit of God came and literally entered into me. And He's there today. Several years ago, my wife and I, we lived out in the country. We lived on a dirt road, off a dirt road. That's good living. And it was really great when my sons were at home. We heated with wood, and as long as they were there to split the seven cords, I loved it out there. And then they went off to college and got married, and I realized my wife wasn't going to do it. <laughs> and so I decided, you know, honey, it's time for us to move into town. And so we moved into town, and you know how it is when the preacher gets a house, new home. People are kind, and they want to bring something over, a meal, or they want to bring a housewarming gift. And so a number of people have done that, and we're trying to get boxes out, and we're back to work, and somebody calls and says, hey, uh, we're going to drop something off. We'll, we won't stay. Mm-hmm. Well, 
that we're going to drop something off and we're going to come over. And so my wife, being the neat freak she is, goes into a panic. Uh, we got to get the house straightened up. And I said, honey, we moved. Doesn't matter. We got to get the house straightened up. So I said to her, I said, you, you work up here. I'll go downstairs. I'll run the vacuum sweeper, pick up all the stuff that's in the, in the way, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get her done. And so I go downstairs. I don't know how it is at your house. At my house, we have the good vacuum sweeper stays on the first floor, and the one that is just next to giving up the ghost goes into the basement, all right? And so I get that vacuum sweeper out. In my mind, I am being the greatest husband on planet Earth. I unwrap the cord, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to sweep, and I, the phone rings. I go over, get the phone. It's something I got to deal with. Takes 10 or 15 minutes to deal with. I hang up. I go back. I go to the vacuum sweeper. I hit the switch. Nothing. And I think to myself, all that we've got to get done, and she has us moving a vacuum sweeper that doesn't work. Why didn't we throw this away? So I call upstairs in my loving husband voice, hey, this thing doesn't even work. And my wife, ever practical, hollers back down, did you plug it in? And I thought to myself, she thinks I'm a moron. <laughs> did I plug it? Did, 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 I, did I plug it in? And I had not plugged it in. <laughs> and I went over and plugged it in and <laughs> stupid story, valid point. It's already there, friends. The power to become the power to see God do great things, not for us, but through us, is already at work in us. Our problem is we don't surrender to it. We are too busy, too often grieving the Holy Spirit. Too often maybe even quenching the Holy Spirit. Much too often in our lives, feeding our own flesh instead of feeding the Holy Spirit. And when we come up to that shore of the Red Sea and we need God to do something great, we think, well, I don't, I don't see how that could happen. And we fold it up and put it in our box and walk away. When God is ready to do something. Brings me to my third point. Look at it with me. We've looked at the possibilities of our God, the poverty of our minds. Notice this, the great purpose of our lives. Notice it in verse 21. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Just that thought. Unto Him be glory. How long? How often? Throughout all ages. I said to you the other day, I want to reiterate it again. <clears throat> we live in a world where we are being lied to from many, many pulpits across America. You say, well, that's too harsh, preacher. No, it's probably not harsh enough. Because we're being preached to that if we just 
say some faith words, if we just vision, envision it in our mind, if we just really want it and we just stick with it, we're going to get it, that God is obligated to give us what we decide is good for us. God exists for our good. That is never true. We exist for God's glory. And when you get a hold of that, you will understand why sometimes God marches us down to the Red Sea where we don't know how to go across. And we don't know how to go to the right or to the left and we don't even know how to go back. And we're desperate and we're empty. And God brings us to that point not to defeat us and not to discourage us and not so that we despair. God brings us to that point because God wants to do something mighty on our behalf. And we can't come to that point and limit what God can do because we can't conceive of how. We can't see anyway. You and I have to come to that place believing. And then God says, listen, I bring you to those places so that I can get glory from your life, so that I can be seen through your life. And I want to do that throughout all ages. Well, I've puzzled over what he meant by all ages. And I'll tell you, I came up with two things. I'll share them with you quickly. Number one, I think God wants to get glory from our lives in every age of our life. I see these little children. Did you know that God can get glory from a two or three or four or five-year-old? That as mommy and daddy trained them to know the Lord and love the Lord and trained them to be useful servants of the Lord. Did you know that God is glorified in that? And we ought to help them understand the calling of glory in their lives. They grow up into teenagers. Did you know that teenage years are not throwaway years? The teenage years are years where God wants to be glorified in teenagers' lives. Well, preacher, you just don't understand. We never do. Our preachers never understand anything. It's just, actually, we do. <laughs> and, and here's the truth. Teenage years are not designed for sowing wild oats. Can I remind you that wild oats come up? You reap the harvest of them? No, teenage years are years where young people ought to live for God. And they ought to glorify God. I, I, teenagers grow into young adults, and young adults grow into young marrieds. And, and in those struggle years when the budgets are tight and when the schedule is filled with taking care of the children and doing this and doing that, sometimes uh, young couples, I'll see them use their children as reasons not to honor and serve God. God didn't give you children at that place in your life to not serve Him. God gave you those children so that with them you could serve and glorify Him. Hey, kids grow up, parents grow old. We come to the place where we're empty nesters. Ah, freedom! Preacher, we brought our kids to Sunday school all their lives. We've been down there all. We're going to take these years in our lives and do what we want. No, God says empty nesters. 
What value, what value the empty nester, what value the gray-headed has. I said to you the other day, if your community is like every other community, 30% of the young people living in your community are living in a single-parent home. They're living in a home where either dad is not or mom is not. What an opportunity for old men. I know we have to be careful. I know we've got to be, be very cautious about it. But, but man, if, if we could speak into the life of a young man who has no father, maybe we could redeem a life. If, if we could speak into the life of a young couple who are, who are finding it difficult to make ends meet and finding it difficult to understand each other, and those of us that have been married 40, 50, 60 years, we, we know some stuff. And there are not years where we say, I've done enough. And there are not years where we say, I, I, I'm, I'm going to let somebody else do it. There are not years where we absence ourselves. God wants glory from our lives of every age. When I retired from Heritage Baptist Church, I've been there 37 years. I promise you what I'm about to say to you is not to be uh, boastful. I, I had no reason to leave that place. It was paid off. 100,000 square feet under roof. A staff of 40. We would average eight or 900. Our budget... We so exceeded our budget, we used it to start churches. Now, you're not going to believe this part, but they actually liked me. <laughs> and God began to whisper in my ear, I got something else for you. And I would say back to him, God, I spent 37 years building this. God would say, I've got something else for you. And I'll never forget one night as we were praying, my wife and I, about it. And I'm not trying to quote God, and I didn't get a word from God, but I'm telling you, God gave me this understanding. At what age or stage of life do I not have the right to ask you to live by faith? How do you answer that? Well, the answer is at no age and at no stage. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that you don't retire from God. And you don't sit down because you've reached a certain age. I'm saying that at every age and stage, God can use us. God can get glory from our lives. Hey, I don't only think it means that. Let me say this. I think it means in every age of this earth. God did the impossible in creation. He spoke a physical world into existence. God did the impossible for Noah. I puzzle over that all the time. How do you get 
two of every insect or, or two of the biggest animals. I don't know. I'm told some people tell me there's dinosaurs on there. I, I guess, okay. I believe it. Because God can do the impossible. God did the impossible for Abraham. God did the impossible for Moses and for Israel. God did the impossible for Mary. Hey, God did the impossible for Peter and John and Paul. God did the impossible in, in the Reformation, in the great awakening of our world, when, when it was from the dark ages, when the Bible had been ripped out of our hands, and, and the printing press is, is invented, and, and the Word of God comes again into our hands, though the devil did all that he could to keep it out of our hands. God did that. And then about 1960, God quit doing the impossible. Yeah, they said God's dead. And they reasoned and rationalized him out of his book, and we took him out of the schools. So God can't work anymore. Hogwash. That's a good word, isn't it? God's not done. God is not done. You know what we've done? We put God in a box. The only limitation that God has is us. Is what we will believe Him to do and ask Him to do and participate with Him in doing. Oh, I'm just saying to you, what does God need to do in your life? What does God need to do? What do you need God to do? I meet people all the time with children or grandchildren who are away from the Lord. Oh, preacher, you just don't understand. Well, I, I know how it could work over here, but not in the... No. Stop it. Stop it. Don't you dare limit what God can do in the life of your son or daughter. Don't you dare be the limiting force for what God can do in the lives of your grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Believe and pray and ask God to work. Right, amen. amen. That's right. Oh, God, our home's just not what it should be. Preacher, you just don't understand. I understand how God can work in some husbands' lives or some wives' lives, but you, you, you just have to understand... My my wife will never, she's never going to come. My husband will never. Stop it! Stop putting God in a box! How dare you decide that God, the supernatural God, who overshadowed a virgin and birthed his son, how dare you decide he can't work through you? Eh, preacher, not our church. No, we could never see revival. Maybe in the big city. No, we could never see people get saved. And now, who do you think you are? I've met people that are bound, have some bondage in their life. 
and they've convinced themselves that there's no way that they can have victory over that thing. And so they live a sad life wishing they could love and serve God, but in bondage to what they do not believe God can give them victory over. Stop it! God can break those chains in your mind and in your heart and in your life. God can. And the only limitation in all the world is that when we come up against something hard, we politely fold God and say, you go work somewhere else. You can't do it here. That's a shame, isn't it? Because God can. God can work in your life. God can work in your home. God can work in your church. And what this world desperately needs is churches and members in churches to stop thinking in Mike. You put your name there. And start thinking in God. I don't mean be silly. I don't mean shake our fist and demand that God do something. I mean from the inside out let the Holy Spirit transform who we are. Bathe ourselves in the Word and renew our minds and in devotion and in intimate union with Him start talking to Him and listening to what He says in our Word and His Word and let Him transform our minds to where we find ourselves asking according to His will. Believing that He can and receiving unbelievable things, not for us, through us. What have you limited God on? What have you stopped asking God for because you just know it can't happen in your life? I challenge you tonight not to consume it upon your own way or desire, but for the sake of a world that desperately needs to know God, why don't you ask God for that thing that you've decided can never happen? Maybe it's a boss. He'll never change. Yeah, God can change him. Maybe it's your finances. Well, we're too. De- Stop it. Stop it. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your depression. Maybe it's the chain that keeps you bound. Stop it. Just like Moses said, hey, hey, sit down and shut up. And watch what God can do. Hey, I started this sermon by saying God is able. Do you believe that? Yeah, me too. God is able in you. Do you believe that? Much weaker. Much weaker. What do you need God to do? What do you need God to do? Ask Him. 
There's nothing like the preaching of God's Word to bring comfort and conviction at the same time. I wonder, what will you do with what you heard today? We would love to hear from you and pray with you. You may contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. That's enjoyingthejourney.org. I hope you'll be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church wherever you are this Lord's Day. And then join us as we continue our devotional study of the Word of God on enjoying the journey in the new week. May God bless you and thank you for listening.